Hello, everybody. Bob Oxley here, and it's time for tips, topics, issues, and positions. And today our topic is going to be on U.S. immigration policy again. Uh, it's in the news on a daily basis. And, uh, of course, if I'm talking immigration, I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Uh, Tyler Todd, for immigration attorney, to come back, and he has agreed to do so. And uh, I really appreciate this because of uh You can imagine being an immigration attorney in these times and all the clients, and uh, we're going to talk about a number of things that are ongoing because our listeners have called in, and they really want to hear from the horse's mouth, like what's really going on and how to interpret things that are going on, and uh, that's why I invited uh, uh, Tyler Todd back, and welcome back, Tyler. Thank you for having me back. And I I really do appreciate it because I know how busy you are. It's... It's uh, scary times. It's scary times, and it's an important thing to talk about. I mean, it's especially this weekend. It's I'm glad to be here and glad we can talk about it. And we're going to talk about that. First of all, I'd really like to just start talking about because what's happened the last couple of weeks is Clint, Texas, the detention center there. Some of the con- Congress uh, people went down there, and uh, they were shocked at the deplorable situation that they have there. And then on top of that, the attorney general's report came out to Congress saying, indeed, use the same term, deplorable conditions. Uh, We have uh, one side, the Democratic Party, saying that this is deplorable. We've got to do something about it. What's what's wrong with the system? The system's broke. This is just scary. It's it's not humane. On the other side, um, from the Republican standpoint, they are agreeing to that in the last 48 hours that it is deplorable but they're doing the best they possibly can. So I would really like to throw that out at you. When we're talking about these detention centers, um, is, are, they do, are we doing thing, everything legal? Is it, can, we, can we take children away and isolate them and, and not, uh, not have toilet facilities or uh, enough water or uh, sleeping conditions? Uh, I, I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, those are all great questions, and it's kind of like what we talked about prior to coming on on the air. Um, I think the numbers are are staggering, right? I mean, we've we're seeing a dramatic increase in immigration, both legal and illegal, um, and so to a certain degree, on on one hand, you can certainly recognize some of the concerns that uh, the Republican Party would like us to believe that, yeah, it's unprecedented. We're not ready for this type of um, immigration movement or number of people that are coming across our borders and how do we humanely treat them. I, I can I can appreciate that response. But then on the, on the other side, we can also say, and I think that's what the Democratic Party is saying, we're, we're America. We're, we're the United States. We have the resources. We have the ability to treat individuals humanely, notwithstanding the legal process that, that needs to be followed. Right. And I think that's the issue, right, is that um, there's such a push by the Republican Party and probably most importantly our, our president to deter immigration and deter these individuals from coming across our borders that uh, – I'm not there. I'm not. So I can't say I don't have firsthand knowledge of what's happening. You see the videos. You see the photos. You see the drawings of these little children of what appears to be drawings of cages and 
and they're referring to them, the, the detention centers as dog kennels. And so when you get that feedback, you have to believe that a lot of what's being reported is, is accurate. Um, and with that, I think that's sad. And I think what's happening is that you're, you're having the Republican Party, maybe Trump's people saying it's not as bad as it appears, but it is. It is. And I, and I think they're saying the right things on, on the, you know, in the media to make it sound not as bad as it is, but they know, yes. they know what they're doing, right? They, I, I would believe that they know what they're doing. I would, I would, I would believe that they're doing it for the very reason of what they're saying to deter people from coming. So when they're acknowledging finally that it's deplorable and it is as bad as people are suggesting, I believe it is, but I also believe they don't really care. And that's, that's their method of saying, don't come because you're going to be put into, into deplorable conditions. And that's not right. Uh, we as, an, a, as a, a, a country founded on immigrants and, and open borders and freedoms and liberties and, and that we're all created equal, that's not right. So how do we treat these people? How do we, how do we deal with the increased numbers? And that's that's a challenge. So I'm not trying to be naive to that challenge. I know there's a lot of good men and women that are probably dealing with that challenge, that would like to see better conditions. But but if the resources aren't there and the federal government is not putting the resources there, how do you deal with it? Yeah. It. It. They, and I just uh, like I say when the Justice Department report came out this last week. They just parroted exactly what was being said from observations uh, by congressional representatives at these facilities. And uh, the New York Times actually had a sketch on their front page last Sunday that showed how what the, the, the different ages of the children and how they were being told they couldn't talk and they, they had to be quiet and this and that. And uh, uh, it, it, it's a sad situation. And overcrowding is one major lack of toilets in some of the some of the uh, rooms. Uh, overcrowding in some of the rooms. Uh, these kids, uh, what a what a trauma they're going through. Well, and I I can tell you, practicing immigration even here in Southern Utah, we we see a lot of families coming over from uh, Central America and Mexico, and and most recently, um, we've dealt with some families. And have helped some families. Uh, one, I'll give you two different examples. Uh, one family from El Salvador, to where the conditions there are so so bad, and and dire to the degree that they are shipping their children alone. And wow. we're talking 11, 12, 13 year old children, and they're sending them over alone. And the journey is taking two, three, four weeks. To get to the U.S. and and then they're being detained at the border, and then they are contacting their family members here in the United States to come get them. In fact, another example I just had called this morning from a client okay. whose family members have been detained in Texas, and asked if he could travel to Texas to go get them because he was worried about traveling uh, interstate, and right. so he was worried about going from one state to the other particularly Texas, to go get his family because they're being detained at the border at the moment. And what was your response to that? It's safe. I mean, it, it's safe to, to go to go get them and go get them. Um, absolutely. So 
it's a constant challenge. And so that, so that the one uh, family from El Salvador uh, hearing, it was a 13 year old girl hearing her story is, is it's phenomenal. And what she went through to get to this country alone as a 13 year old girl in trucks and they had, she had to walk for long periods of time then through from El Salvador. So we're talking, she had to go all through Central America up through Mexico and a lot of it was on foot, and a lot of it was in 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 a vehicle. And that journey, and then they got to the border, and then they sent her back because it wasn't the right time. I mean, this debate brings up a lot of issues regarding, you know, is that the right thing to do? Is that a smart thing to do by her mom and dad from in El Salvador? I, I don't know. How desperate was it? How right? desperate was it, right? I mean, if there's an issue of being put into... Uh, sex trafficking and gangs threatening the family that they're going to kidnap their daughter and put her into uh, prostitution. What, what what do you do? Yeah. So it's hard to say because we here aren't there. So we don't know how bad the conditions are. We know, we read about them, we hear the stories, uh, we see the things that are happening uh, I, every now and then I've had the chance to travel. You go down, you see it too. There's, it's, there's all, all are, there's also parts of El Salvador and Central America and Costa Rica and Honduras and Guatemala that are lovely to visit. Yes. And, and so you wonder how bad it is, but I guess that's not the focus. The focus is we have an issue now and how are we dealing with it? And so in regard to this detention center issue that we're talking about, I have another family I just met with a couple of days ago okay. um, from Honduras. And and I don't know if they were part of the the caravan or not, um, but they claimed asylum at the border. Okay. Okay. And so they were detained there at the border. And um, this family told me for the first two nights while detained there at the border— the husband and wife were separated. So the two the two minor children, we're talking a six-year-old and a two-year-old, stayed with the mother, okay. and they slept on a concrete floor for two nights. On concrete? Nothing. Nothing. Just concrete. They told me they were given a like a plastic sheet to put on the floor so that it was at least clean. I, I guess that was the, the purpose of the plastic sheet. Uh, but on concrete floor for two nights with the children. They didn't see their father, husband for those two nights. And then they were all reunited the third night at another detention center where they at least had um, either foam mattresses or cots. I, I, didn't, I couldn't quite tell what they were, how they were explaining that, but okay. it was better than the concrete floor at least. It's amazing. But, but that's what they're, I mean, that's, you know, that's the numbers what, the numbers must uh, are overriding the system. Number one, and you hear you hear from people that uh, work for ICE saying these facilities were built uh, built for uh, male older males trying to get into our country, not for families, not for small children, and uh, the major problem and an overload. It's an and overload. In fact, I think. Uh they're now converting what old WalMarts to yes. detention centers. Yes, and, they just started doing that. Right. So now they're turning supermarket stores into 
detention centers, which of course were not built for that and don't have the plumbing and facilities for that. And so it's an absolute, it's a mess. And I think what you said earlier, it's a crisis. I mean, it's an absolute crisis that's been created um, by implementing this and, and instilling this fear in this, in the, in the people um, and, and whether that's created by our government, by governments afar from gang violence there in those you know, particular countries, it's hard to say, but the most important thing right now we have to, you know, ask ourselves is how are we, how are we dealing with it and how is our government dealing with it? And what we have to ask our president is how are you dealing with this in a, in a humane way? Um, which brings us to the question of these raids this weekend. And, you know, is that humane? Is that the right way of going about it? Um, everyone knows as we go into 2020 with our elections coming up, that immigration is a very, very, very huge issue. And, uh, I guess regardless of what, how you feel about it, you need to make your congressman or woman know how you feel, and it needs to be addressed. Exactly. Let, let's. I'm going to talk about that uh, upcoming uh, raid, as you say. The uh, they're going to make some. We'll talk a little bit more detail later on in the show. But uh, as far as the children's separation, there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's some concepts that, uh, and you just said that. Uh, the, your, your one of your clients had the two children, a two-year-old and a six-year-old, that they were allowed to stay with the mother. Correct. Okay. There was a misunderstanding that all children were just separated and sent shipped off to remote locations, like they're coming across to Texas or they're shipped off to New York or whatever. Uh, it, what's fact and what's fiction on this? Is that what, I mean, uh, my understanding, and, and I'm not the attorney, you are, but my understanding was that there's a, a separation time limit of 72 hours. That's correct. So what's happening is when when these individuals are coming across the border, they're either being processed and returned immediately, meaning they're just being turned around. Okay. Or if the individual is claiming asylum and and it's probably not new, uh but what these transporters or coyotes are are telling their cargo, if you will, yeah. right? Their their clients, if you want, to, you know, if they're if they're so dignified to call them their clients, right? They're calling they're calling they're telling these people to get to the border and claim asylum, okay? Yeah. And and that I'm scared and I'm seeking relief. I'm seeking asylum. So they they're being instructed to do that. So by doing that, then they are then, by law, by U.S. law, allowed the process of presenting an asylum case to an immigration judge, okay? So what that does is, and and then the question then begs, well, how, how soon do they get to be heard? And oftentimes what's happening is they're being detained, they're being processed, and then they're being released because that hearing won't happen for several months. So what do they do? Do you say they're released to where? In public. I mean, they just, they're just, they're they're just walking out, out? Out of jail, yeah. Out of the detention centers. So then they then will go and either stay within that community where the detention centers are, but more than likely in what's generally happening is those individuals are then connecting with family members wherever they may be 
And that usually gets you, when you declare asylum, that usually if you have somebody here already, a family already here already, that's probably going to, uh, you're more apt to get privileged to go be with them. Is that right? In other words, there's no... Well, you're not going to be given any sort of, you're not going to be granted any sort of asylum relief. Okay. But you're going to be released at least to, to, to leave the detention center to, and then to go wait your hearing. And then you have to check in with your local immigration officers wherever you may be. Okay. And then say, hey, I promise to appear at my first master hearing or I promise to appear at this next hearing. But well, what's happening is they'll go to their hearing and the immigration judges will say, well, you probably need an attorney. And then they'll give them more time to go find an attorney. So this particular family from Honduras entered in April. Wow. And so they've already had a first appearance in June. And that's where you come in. And then their next appearance is in August. All right. And then, then you can then pursue, you know, accumulating the proper asylum documents. Okay. So it just depends on where these family members are. And I, and I think that's part of the issue is why we're having all these different family members appearing in multiple cities across the country saying, hey, I'm in New York or I'm in Chicago, I'm here, and this is what's happening to our families here. And then having checked in to our local immigration officer, we're being detained because we haven't checked in appropriately or whatever it may be. So... I think that's what's happening because I, if the if the if the individuals are coming in, and this is another issue, if they're coming in from Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, it makes it more it makes it significantly more difficult for our government to send them back home. If they're coming in from Mexico, which is neighboring our our border, right? Yes. They just turn them around. But when they're coming from these Central American countries, to get them back to those countries, that's it, obviously more of a process. Either have to put them on a bus or an airplane, and that takes time. Yeah. So it, it's, it's just a complicated process because we do have the procedure in place to enable these people to then make a legitimate claim for asylum. Now, whether that's going to be granted or not is a, a wholly different story. Okay. Uh, because to get asylum relief... Is, is very, very difficult. Okay. Along with the process, we, we just touched on uh, previously today, the children's separation situation. When, we, when this first started a year ago or so, they were separated and the children were sent out to these remote states from the detention center. What, is the, has the system improved? Have they made changes where the, the children can be reunited with their parents or parents? Well, I think with the public pressure and the pressure from our uh, our Congress, I think that's improved. Good. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's improved. Um, they have a long way to go, but now, like like you like you've seen in the news, it's only for the and pursuant to the zero tolerance policy. The separation is only supposed to take place when their parents are appearing in court. But as as we're hearing stories and reading things and seeing things on the news and videos, that's not happening. I mean, that's the separation is continuing longer than than going to appear in court and coming back and. And why that's happening, I don't know. Okay. Uh, you know, I would, I would, I would imagine it's happening because it's just another form of another form, another deterrent to say, hey, yeah, we know what the law says, and we know what we're supposed to do, but this is what's really happening. Don't come across because 
there's a chance it's going to happen to you too. Got it. So it's a little bit of a threat. That's the way I'm seeing it right. and, and taking it. And I, and there's a misnomer on their side uh, by the Coyotes saying just all, just all you have to do is get to the U.S. border and, de- and declare, hey, it's been really bad where I came from and, de- and request asylum, and you're going to get it. Like, that's how they think. That's what they've been told. You know, the United States of America, the most powerful country in the world. And it's good business, right? Ter- yeah. I mean, and they're making money. I mean, families are putting together all, their last savings. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, and that's another really, really sad, tragic part of this process. Is, yes. Is they are really putting together every last dime of all of their savings to, to provide a better life for their children. So I, on, you know, on one hand, you get it. On the other, is it really that bad? But they are, they are doing everything they can to, to get to the U.S. border to claim relief. And, and then it's another, you know, really another just can of worms that they're opening because they're being detained. They're being put into a legal process they don't understand. Uh, that's, that's wholly unfair at the moment in the way it's set up. And so the ability to, to actually get relief that they're seeking is borderline impossible, particularly depending on where they're, where they're doing it from. So, uh, you know, we're, we're here in, in Utah talking about this and our courts and our federal courts in Utah and, and our, and our, another close court is Las Vegas. Yes. To, 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 to get relief out of Salt Lake or Las Vegas immigration court is borderline impossible. Wow. And so, because the standards and our judges are just, they're so high that I'll give you an example. Yes, please. Okay. Brother and sister. And I believe I want to say the country is El Salvador. It might be Costa Rica, but it's Central America. Same set of facts. Okay. Both seeking asylum. Sister has sought asylum because she lives and and she's in the court in, in San Francisco. And asylum's granted to sister from the court in San Francisco. Same set of facts with brother in Las Vegas, and he's denied. Wow. So um, does, do the, does the court have a difference and the jurisdiction where you're seeking those, those benefits have a difference? Absolutely. Wow, that's amazing. That's Un- amazing. Unfortunately. But that's... And even, yeah, that's right, even within the system. And then you were, t- we were talking about the, them spending every last dime, every last penny to get maybe a member of their family with the 13-year-old example that you gave. And then when they're told, okay, now you have to find an attorney, where do they get the money for that? What, it, it, how does that all work? You know, it's, and, you're, and you're in the middle of it. And that's a great question. And I just, and, if they've expended virtually every dime just for the sake of their children, our children, you know, child, Amazing. Therein lies the empathy that we have to have for these people because it's those are real life issues, and you don't want to give them false hope or, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, we got to take a break. Okay, don't go away, everybody. Uh, we're going to come back. Uh, we're just going to take a short break. Some important messages that KDXI one hundred point three wants to give to you, but don't go away. Uh, Tyler, Todd, and I will be back right after these messages and uh, get ready because we're going to get even in more in depth. Uh, because we want to find out what's going to be going on in the future here because there's some things that are that are going to be happening and we want to talk about that. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
Hello, everybody. Bob Oxley and our guest, our special guest here is our immigration attorney, uh, Tyler Todd. We're back to continue on with our discussion of immigration policy. We've we've taken a look and, and discussed some of the uh, facilities and of the detention centers and the deplorable uh, situation there. Uh, Tyler's been so gracious as to give some actual real life examples of some of his clients in the last uh, month that he's in, in, uh, encountered. Uh, with them and, and, the, and the procedure itself. We also discussed about the separation of the children, how that's improved somewhat, uh, not in all cases, but somewhat. So that was as a result of congressional and public uh, concern. Uh, so that's, that's the, some good news. But uh, what I really want to get into is what's going to be happening. Uh, we've all read about it. Uh, the Immigration and Custom Enforcement Offices, with the backing of 10 federal judges have, have uh, opened the doors and said that uh, this Sunday, which would be uh, July the 14th, uh, they're going to have a major roundup in 10 major cities throughout the country, as well as some other smaller cities, but they've designated some of those cities. Um, and my understanding is that, believe it or not, uh, we have 37 million illegal immigrants in those 10 major metropolitan cities. Now, if they're going to do a roundup, what's the ramifications? Can you can, can, we, can we even fathom that? What's hap- going to happen and, and the anxiety that's going on and uh, what about the dreamers and what about DACA and what it's just it's 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 something that's going to happen so I you're you're living with this on a day-to-day basis so uh, Tyler would you just let us know what you know, and I'll, I'll bring in some information that I've picked up also, and let's have an open discussion. No, perfect. First of all, I would say that the uh, anxiety is an all-time high. Absolutely. Um, and, and rightfully so, because there's a lot of concern, a lot of fear, uh, people not knowing what to expect. Of course, they're saying, um, they're saying that they are seeking those with uh, a higher priority than others, which would be previous deportation orders that have returned to the, to the country. Uh, illegally. And so, you know, that, that may be true. I think, um, on a, on a local level, I've seen that with our local ICE offices that they, they do, the priority is to arrest those that have previous deportation orders and that have come back. And for whatever reason, they've, they've been put back on the radar that, that they've returned illegally. And, and I and I think that's fair to say. I don't. I, you know, we don't drive down the street and see ICE officers arresting people on a daily basis. I don't think that happens. Like, maybe someone like us to believe, but um, there's going to be fallout, and that's the concern, right? There's going to be a number of individuals that are arrested along with the priority individuals, and that's going to be a major problem. Yes. I mean, as we've talked about with the detention centers being the way they are. And the conditions that they're now uh, existing down there, what's going to happen when they arrest yeah. thousands and thousands of that, people? That's a good point. I mean, if we're already at over, if we're overcrowded right now, and the facilities can't handle coming across from the southern, from through Mexico, and the, to us, then what are we going to do with after this roundup on Sunday? Where are those people going to be? What, what are we going to do with those people? I, I, I have no idea, and it's going to be, it's going to be a horrible situation because. These people that that are arrested this weekend still have rights. Yes, 
and they still have the ability to then claim for relief, they might not have access to any sort of relief, but at least they have the right to, to seek whether they're entitled to it or not and have a judge say, no, you're not entitled to that or no, you can't do that or, oh, yeah, you might be you might have relief under that particular code section. What you just said prior to our break, uh, you indicated that it depends where the judge is located, the judge's interpretation. So you're playing the, the court game on top of everything Well, that's else. right. I mean, so one of these cities we're talking, when one of the cities will be San Francisco and will be Los Angeles, uh, Baltimore, Chicago, Miami, New Orleans, Atlanta, Denver, Houston. Wow. So what are those particular judges in those jurisdictions? How are they going to handle them? Are they going to be more liberal and, and allow these individuals to then seek relief? Or are they going to deny and say, nope, and, but, but they're entitled to, to the opportunity to, to at least see whether they have some relief available to them. Now, if they've been previously deport, deported and they have that priority level, well, as, a, as an immigration attorney, it's easy. It's, the answer is no, because there's a number of factors that, that would lead you to, the, the, that, to that conclusion. But it's still, I mean, they still have the right to, to seek whether that's a possibility or not. Wow. So that's going to be the concern is the over. That's a good point. Population. I, you know, I didn't think about that. We're, we just got through in the first segment talking about the deplorable conditions of these facilities. And then we're going to have a roundup. That's what they call it. The, they, the administration put out, we'll have a roundup on Sunday. Uh, what are we going to do with all those people that we arrest? What do we do with them? That's a great, I mean, I, presumably they're going to be housed in their local jails right wherever they are found and arrested i'm presuming that they will be housed in the in the local jails okay um pending right immigration officers coming and 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 getting them and transferring them i mean i i would imagine they're going to be doing so in conjunction with the local state so this is and county officers i you're, you're you're assuming that everything's been coordinated with the local police agencies with the federal Well, we're assuming, I mean, we have, because we do have some of these mayors of these particular cities saying, no, we're not going to help and we're not going to participate. So then where do you have them? And so another example that I have from, from current situations here locally is we have clients that are being held to, because typically what happens is if these individuals come across the border illegally and they're not detained at the border, then they come in and they live in the United States and they're here illegally, right? Okay. And they're living in our communities, which is a lot of them are great people, but they're here. And let's say they get arrested for a DUI or they get arrested for speeding or shoplifting or domestic violence or some form of theft, okay? Then that's a state or city crime that they've allegedly committed okay. of which has to be dealt with by that local municipality, either the state, if it's filed by the state or the city, if it's filed by the city. Okay. So if they're in undocumented individuals, then what's happening is ICE is either contacting that local municipality or that local municipality is contacting ICE saying we have a, an individual who's been arrested, he or she is undocumented, 
they run the search, they do the processing, they say, okay, undocumented individual, we're going to place an ice hold on that individual. Okay. So that's the local authority saying we're going to put an ice hold? Well, that's the federal the- authority saying we're going to put an ice hold. Got it. Okay. And so once they have been released from local city or county or state custody, they get transferred to federal custody Okay. under that ice hold. And historically what's happened, well, I can say this, prior to Trump, okay, if we had an individual or a client that was arrested locally with an ice hold, we were oftentimes able to obtain an uh, immigration bond here okay. from our local jail. Oh. Okay. Since President Trump's inauguration, we have no longer been able to do that. Now they are automatically forced to go to immigration court, and we have to argue the merits of why an immigration bond should be issued. Okay, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So if in your case, Salt Lake City or Las Vegas? Correct. That's your federal there, There's not one in St. George, no. Utah. No, It's either Salt Lake City or Las Vegas, and what you're indicating, I've indicated that it's a strict interpretation of the law, and to get on the docket, it's very, very difficult. It's difficult. So now, so prior to Trump, we were able to oftentimes obtain an immigration bond and release these individuals from our local jail. Now they are now being, everyone is now being sent to either Salt Lake or Las Vegas. Wow. And so what, what's happening is what we're, so in regards to overcrowding of the detention centers and what's currently happening now is I have multiple clients that are in jail due to an arrest of some level. So it's, it's going to be local or state municipality. Correct. Okay. So he or she is now in jail. Okay. But that the state or local municipality case has been resolved. They've been released from their custody and are now in federal custody. Even so far as maybe a couple months ago, getting them into federal custody and transported to Las Vegas has been a pretty quick process Okay. in a matter of days. Now we're talking a matter of weeks. Well, because of the, the systems overloaded. The system overload. Wow. So now we have people remaining in their local jails just waiting to be picked up by immigration officials. But when we call to say, what's the process, what's the status, what's going on, we get no answer as to what the issue is. So we can only presume that it's because system overload. Detention centers in Vegas and Salt Lake are just overcrowded. There's nowhere to put them. So I'm worried, as we talk about this weekend, I'm worried that these individuals are going to be arrested and they're going to be overloading their local jails. Because where are they going to put them? Are they going to bring them down immediately to the detention centers that are overloaded? Oh, my gosh. Are they going to put them in the local jails that are presumably overloaded? So it... And we're talking huge numbers. 30, huge numbers. 37 million people in the 10 major metropolitan areas that have been identified for this weekend. This is, this is going to be wild. I mean, I, and my, my, my resources have indicated, I said, what's the real process? Meaning you've identified someone that needs to be picked up, arrested. 
And and they told me, and I can I don't think I'm stepping on anybody's toes if I say this on the air, but they said it's in the middle of the night. We go in the middle of the night. We go at two two a.m. or three a.m. Uh, nope, there's minimum people on in in the community out. Everybody's sleeping, and I can you. We talked about that word anxiety before. Think about this. Think about what's going on, especially if you live or reside in one of those 10 communities and you're illegal. No, it's it's frightening to think about because when you think about not just the immediate individual, but think about that individual's family members. Yes. And then think about that individual's friends and extended family members and the people that they've touched in that community and have connections within that community and 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 they might be working. Yes. Um, whether legally or not, it's still going to affect that that place of employment. I mean, so there's it just the ramifications are so, and that's that's the frustrating part is the it doesn't seem like the consequences uh, that that seem to be inevitable have been really thought through, and and so I I just hope that it's not it won't be as bad as what we've seen, but I can't imagine how it can be anything but uh, as bad, but but even worse than what we've seen. Okay, let me let me give you another scenario. Just I hear your professionalism on this one you have a, a family that's been identified but they have a dreamer they have a a, a young son or daughter uh, that's been here for 12 years or 15 or 16 years and they're getting ready to graduate from high school or whatever it may be they were born here what happens to them so that's a great question um of the approximately eight hundred thousand. Dream Act recipients. Uh, I'm hoping that all of them have renewed in the last two years or when it was, it, it, during their renewable period time period. Uh, as we've talked about, right, a I few think that times. Was January this year was right. We we know that the government's no longer accepting new applications based on the number of injunctions that were issued by uh, federal courts across the country. I think four or five. Uh, well, this is injunctions in response to Attorney General Sessions and President Trump terminating the DACA program. Um, so that uh, that program still in place. Like I said, not accepting new applications, but those that received it are able to renew. Um, the Supreme Court, from what I understand, has just issued uh, the date in which they're going to hear these those court hearings, and that's to take place November 12th. November 12th. Of this year. Okay, so November, that's a big Hey, day. you know, in fact, let me, let me, I might have misspoken. I want to say I read, actually, sorry. Yes, November 12th. November the 12th. November 12th. 2019 is 2019 a big date. Is a big date for, for, for DACA. Isn't that something? I this, mean. This is going to be. So, I mean, can you imagine the ramifications one way or the other? Well, November, if I'm, you know, we're really ramping up for our elections. Uh, so it's going to have, that's going to have some significant uh, ramifications in regards to the, the presidential campaigns. I would think so. So you're right. They are ramped up because we get through August and we're ready to roll. And it's one year from, from the decision by the Supreme Court, one year approximately. Approximately. Until, until people go to the polls. Absolutely. Wow. So it's a big deal. And that's that's a big deal. 
Uh, I know that the, uh, the you know the Democratic Party is pushing their their agenda for the DACA program, obviously for the pathway to citizenship. Depending on who you talk to or listen to, and from the Republican Party, there's various programs that and ideas of of wanting the same thing. But but that's the therein lies the struggle of our our U.S. politics. You know why? Why haven't we been able to get together and get the two sides of the aisle together to get some legislation in place and put this to bed? You're absolutely right because bo- both sides have indicated there's points that need to be resolved. You're absolutely right, and they know it. And it's just, but it, we keep hearing the same thing over and over and over again. In fact, in all reality, the last president that actually did anything that had a concrete change and and actually helped immigration reform was President Bush. Wow. President Bush, one or two? Two. Two. George W. That's amazing. So the last, and that was, I think, I want to say 99, that he pushed some th- stuff through. And and so, and it, and it helped a lot of people. And and so, and before that was Reagan. That before, so, and all that. So time. that's what is, is a bit ironic is that the Democrats would like you to believe that they're all about immigration reform, and, and they may be. I'm, I'm not saying they're not because they, we talk about it a lot and they talk about it a lot. But, but really, the, the few changes over the last three or four decades that have actually helped immig- immigrants come to this country yes. have come from George W. Bush and, and Ronald, Ronald Reagan. Reagan. Amazing. That's a great point. So— Say what you want to say. I don't, I don't know what that means in today's current climate and temperature and political you know, climate, but um, we have to do something. And, and I'm, I'm really, you know, for, the, for anyone listening to this radio show, um, you know, contact a lawyer. You, I have an app. You can contact me directly. You, the One Law app. You can download the One Law app. Is it the number one law, right? Number one, LAW. On your Android or iPhone device, download the app, and that way at least you have communication with our office in the event something happens this weekend, because we know something. We know the ten cities, but I, I can't imagine that smaller cities and communities aren't following yeah. suit. Some of my sources have said that uh, it's not going to be anywhere near the grand scale of the ten identified major metropolitan areas, but there will be some activity. In, sure. in medium sized and smaller communities. So. I, I would imagine. I mean, it it makes sense. Um, I, I, that's not from any sort of direct source, but I'm speculating. But I, I can't imagine that wouldn't happen. So, um, and and the fear and anxiety is, is legitimate. It's meritorious. I mean, I, I would feel the same if I were in those shoes. Yeah. Do you know on Thursday, uh, yesterday, the American Civil Liberties Union uh, filed a lawsuit in an attempt to protect asylum seekers. Did you? Are you aware of that? I'm not. Yeah, that just came out, so I don't know where it went. They filed, but I don't know. He said uh, some. They're saying that some. Uh, meanwhile, the activists have distributed Know Your Rights pocket guides. They're circulating that information in these ten cities, and hotlines and planning public demonstrations over this weekend. So I would assume on Saturday and Sunday. Well, and I and I, without knowing about the lawsuit and what they've done and the grounds for which they believe they're filing this particular lawsuit, uh, I can I can say this on my own personal experience. 
it needs a change. Our asylum laws need revisions. They need we need case law. We need new precedent because where there appears to be legitimate asylum seekers from legitimate fear of of whether it be gang violence or or lack of government control or or the inability to go and and, and seek redress from your local police authority there in the countries that you live in at the moment that's not enough yeah. now if every good story and every uh, individual that came over seeking asylum and said hey I'm scared of my local municipality local I'm scared and and the government can't control the gangs and the government seems to be paid off by the gangs and the police seem to pay well I would you probably would be letting everybody in I would imagine and and is that the right answer? I don't know. Um, of course, we are a country built on immigration, so we are. Uh, you know, that's a hard argument. That's a hard. I get there's two sides to that story, and 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 actually more than two. Right. But if, if you look at the European side, right, that opened their, their like Sweden and Germany and France and some of the negative uh, results. Of open door policy, they shut they shut their doors down as a result of it. Sure, so that's 100%. the other side. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and so there's various sides. I get it, and I'm not naive to that, and so I'm not I'm not saying that one side or whatever side you're on is better than the other. Yeah. Okay, um, but what I am saying is, we ha- as a as a as a country, I guess through our our elected officials, we have to come together and figure out the best solution because the current one's not working. Yeah. And you brought up about George W. Bush. That's why uh, I just read an article whereby we're allowing about 1 million legal immigrants coming in every year since the year 2000. And so uh, that's uh, pretty interesting. You know that. Well, and it is. And I, I would actually think there would be more. Right. Um, but that's the number they gave. The, right. So I, I they probably, a little bit more in one year, less than another year, but it's one million is the magic number wow. legal immigrants per year. Well, and and when and it's interesting because when you do talk to immigrants that have come over to the country legally, right, they have an interesting perspective, right? Sure. A lot of them will say, "Hey, I came over legally, so they should have also then be required to come over legally." And there, some at times, okay, not all everyone, but at times they're less sympathetic. Yeah, my to, mother was a naturalized citizen. Okay. So she went through the whole process. Right. And she was proud. You Absolutely. Know, you know, and uh, I know uh, that we didn't have the crisis. Unfortunately, she's not with us any longer. That but I know, that, I know her statement would be, uh, I went through that, let them go through it, and uh, they'll appreciate the country that they, this this country more. Sure. And, I, and, and, and that, that would be her attitude. And that attitude's not without merit. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, I, I, I get it. But but it's also broken because, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on the show, but I have a cousin born and raised in England with a U.S. born or a U.S. citizen father. And and she's seeking naturalization. And she filed her petition seven years ago. And wow. she's still waiting for the ability to come over with a visa. My mother was six visa. years. Six years. The time that and so was, that was my, after World War so my II. cousin's saying, 
well, I have a U.S. citizen father. Why? And so even the, the legal naturalization process, even that system is broken. Because arguably you could say, wait, you're a daughter of a U.S. citizen? Well, of course you should have legal entry to the United States. But even then, but even that process. And that's one of your family members. And it's a family member. And I'm sure you, they're saying, why, why aren't you waving your magic wand, right? And I say, I wish I had one. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I hate to say this. I told you time would go flying by. It has. You're uh, right. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to thank uh, uh, Tyler Todd for being with us once again and discussing uh, immigration. And I'm sure that I mark this on your calendar because November the 12th, or November 13th, that week afterwards, like what just happened, I'd love to have you back for that. Probably if there's something else in between, uh, get ready for my call, and I'll plead my case again to get you back here. Absolutely. In the studio. I just really enjoy it, and it really does help out our listeners. I, I just have a statement here. I, I Just for the fun of it, I said, what is the U, U, U.S. immigration principles? And here's our principle. This is quote, uh, the reunification of families, admitting immigrants with skills that are valuable to the United States economy, protecting refugees, and promoting diversity. That's the principles of our U.S. immigration policy. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We have a long way to go to meet those. I know that, but I just thought I'd throw that at the end of this show. Uh, Tyler Todd, thank you once again. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes that concludes uh, tips for this, this week. Um, next week, we've got another exciting uh, topic and issue, and, and some of our guests are going to be coming in. So I'm not going to let it out. I never do tell you. Okay. But uh, you can take a look at us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can look at our podcast, Podbean, as well as we're on the air at 3 o'clock uh, every, every Friday afternoon, and we rebroadcast on, at 5 o'clock on Saturdays. Uh, until next week, this is Bob Oxley, and uh, thanking once again Tyler Todd for being here. And our topic today and issues that we discussed were U.S. immigration policy. Have a great week, everyone.